So today we are talking about Buddhism. Last week we talked about Hinduism. And just to remind you, uh, Christianity is the largest, most followers, then Islam, then Hinduism. Buddhism is the fourth largest religion in the world. About 7% of the population of the world are Buddhists, 445 million uh, practitioners. And it's not just over there. It's also right here. About uh, at least a million Buddhists here in the United States. If you wanted to attend a Buddhist temple in Anchorage, Alaska, uh, there it is on D Street. You can go down uh, and do that. The religions are not over there anymore. They're next door. And uh, you might very well work with, go to school with, be friends with, even be related to somebody who follows another religion. And so we want to be able to talk with them. Buddhism. Buddhism, uh, it actually came out of Hinduism, and so it shares with Hinduism a couple of key religious ideas. Uh, Number one is samsara. We talked about samsara last week. It's that cycle of life, death, and rebirth that Hindus and Buddhists believe the entire universe is caught up in. Now, here in the West, this idea of uh, samsara or reincarnation, the, you, you know, when you die, you just get to come back again, that's a comforting concept. Not so for Hindus and Buddhists who, especially Buddhists, who say uh, this life is just characterized by suffering, and so why in the world do I want to come back? In fact, we're trapped. They view, uh, they view the cosmos as being trapped in a vicious cycle of life, death, and rebirth. And in fact, the ultimate goal for both Hinduism and Buddhism is to get off this crazy cycle called samsara and uh, exit it altogether, cease to exist, because uh, life is, is just suffering. And so you don't want to get reborn into it. The second Religious idea shared by Buddhism and Hinduism is that of karma. We talked about it last week. Karma is, uh, Buddhists view karma like we view gravity. It's just a law of the universe, and it's a cause and effect law. Uh, Your next life is determined by what you have done in this life and in your previous lives. Um, So this isn't your first life, by the way. According to Buddhists, you've lived many lives before, and so the reason you're born a human is because your karma was pretty was not that bad. You must have done some good things in your past life. Well done. So here you are. Well, if you if you um, actually for Buddhists, Hindus say there's good karma and bad karma, and you want to build up good karma. Buddhists say all karma is bad. The opposite of karma is merit, and you're actually, what you're trying to do is just get rid of karma altogether, and in fact, when you get rid of karma completely, that's when you get to get off the crazy karmic cycle called samsara. So, but the realm, when you die, what determines the realm you get born into, again, born again, uh, reincarnated into, is completely dependent on the karma in your life, how much karma is in your life. So for Buddhists, the more karma in your life, uh, the worse off you are. We'll talk more about that. Hinduism, nobody knows how Hinduism began. Buddhism has a story. 
And here's the story. Uh, there was a prince by the name of Siddhartha Gautama. Gautama, I'm sorry, Siddhartha Gautama. His father was a king in northern India, which, so the religious uh, ideas of the day were Hindu. His father is the king. His mother dies uh, giving birth to him. But there was a prophecy at the time he was born. And the prophecy said, Siddhartha Gautama is going to be a great man. The only question is, going to be a great ruler or a great holy man? Now, the father, the king, was partial to him becoming a ruler. And the prophecy said this, it all depends on uh, Siddhartha's interaction with suffering. If, if the king can protect his son from the suffering of the world, he'll become a great ruler. But if he's exposed to too much suffering, he will become a great holy man. And the king said, okay, I just need to, uh, I need to orchestrate his environment so that he's protected from suffering. And so that's what happened. Siddhartha grew up in the palace. Everything was peaches and cream for him. He was not aware of suffering. Uh, and for some reason, he was surrounded only by women. <laughs> Take that as you will. He's about 28 years old, and he gets antsy. He wants to explore. He sees many paths leading away from the palace, and he wants to go exploring. And the dad realizes, I can't keep my son uh, in the palace much longer. So he says, all right, son, you may leave the palace. But he tries to kind of clean up the pathways. But in his first uh, journey outside the palace, Siddhartha encounters a sick man. What's that? He asked the servant accompanying him. Well, that's a sick man. Uh, no one is exempt from sickness. Hmm. Second trip out of the palace, he encounters an old man. What's that? That's an old man. No one is exempt from uh, growing old. Third trip out of the palace, he encounters a corpse. What's that? That's a dead man. No one is exempt from death. Fourth trip out of the palace, he encounters a holy man. An, an ascetic, a wandering guru. What's that? Oh, that's a guru. Uh, he's uh, seeking spiritual enlightenment. Well, faced with encountering suffering in the form of uh, sickness, old age, and death, and with uh, recognizing the possibility of attaining spiritual enlightenment, this creates a crisis uh, for Siddhartha Gautama. And at the age of 29, he renounces the, the palace and its pleasures. He abandons his wife and his son, and he goes off to become a holy man. For six years, he wanders around northern India, apprenticing under uh, different Hindu uh, uh, holy men, gurus. But after six years of living an ascetic lifestyle, he is so thin that he said, he said one time he went to touch his belly and he touched his spine. But he, he gave it up. He just said, all I can think about is how hungry and miserable I am, and this isn't helping me uh, reach enlightenment. He, he takes some food, he sits under a tree, and he said, I'm not getting up from underneath this tree until I figure out how to get off this crazy cycle called samsara. It took him 49 days, but he got it. He had this, this epiphany. And it, uh, it, two things. Number one, he realized everything, absolutely everything in the universe is changing and impermanent. Nothing stays the same. Nothing lasts forever. That was the first insight. The second insight was this. 
all the suffering that we experience as humans comes from our desire for life to be other than it is. And so what he said is, if, if people will, will eliminate attachments, don't be attached to anything in this transitory, changing world. If you can eliminate your attachment to anything and everything, including yourself, you will be freed from suffering because suffering comes from uh, ultimately wanting things to be other than they are. While he sat under the tree, when he came to this realization, he became the Buddha, which means an awakened one, an enlightened one. And he claimed that from that point on, uh, he was unaffected by suffering. He lived until he was 80. He taught other people the secret to his, uh, to his success. And then at 80, he died from food poisoning. Someone had given him some um, spoiled meat. He ate it and died. Where is he? Good question. Talk more about it. Okay. Now, um, Buddhists have clarified much more than Hindus uh, what happens to us when we come back, reincarnation. So, Buddhists say, I have on the screen here, the wheel of life. Buddhists say that when you die, you will be reborn into one of six realms. Being a human is actually really good because humans have the greatest possibility of eliminating karma and um, adding merit, achieving merit. The only better realm is here called the heaven or the God realm. Buddhists, by the way, do not believe in gods. When they talk about the God realm, what they mean are humans who have achieved enlightenment and as a result, eliminated the karma in their world and gotten off the karmic cycle. You could be born as a demon if you have lots of karma. Or as a hungry ghost. Or in the hell realm. Animal realm's not that bad. Um, unless you're a cat. Because, you know, you're probably not coming out of that one. But, <laughs> but here, I want to show you, uh, this, this dog right here's name is Kenai. And Kena, I am pretty sure, is going to be coming back as a human in the next life because she's pretty fabulous. She's pretty fabulous. Notice the center of the wheel. The center of the wheel are what are called the three poisons. And these are the things that cause karma. Ignorance, greed, and hatred. If you can eliminate ignorance, greed, and hatred from your life, if you can completely eliminate it, you have no more karma and when you die, you will not come back. You will cease to exist. And that is the goal of Buddhism. Nirvana means to blow out, like blowing out a candle. And the ultimate goal for a Buddhist is to cease to exist, to get completely off this crazy cycle of samsara. And so uh, you want to, you want to um, eliminate ignorance, greed, and hatred. Now, what is ignorance? Ignorance is believing that anything in the universe is uh, forever or stays the same, including yourself. Did you know that Buddhists deny the existence of the soul? They do not believe that there are such things as souls. They do not believe that the, the self actually is real. And so ultimate enlightenment comes where you, when you actually get to the point where you no longer uh, believe in yourself. 
So ignorance, and ignorance, uh, ignorance creates attachments. You want, you want things to be other than they are. You are attached to things, and that creates greed and hatred. Why? If I want something, I, I get greedy for it. And if I want something or if I'm attached to something, I get mad when it doesn't happen. So these are the three poisons. These create karma. You want to eliminate them in your life. And when you end your life, the, the, the less you have karma in your system, then the better chance you have of coming back into a better realm. What's the next slide? Ah, yes. I said that we're going to, um, we're going to examine every religion by answering four questions. What's the problem? What's the solution? What's the technique? And who are the exemplars? The problem for Buddhism is suffering. The world is characterized by suffering. How do we eliminate suffering? The solution is, to, uh, is called nirvana, which means to uh, blow out. Give me the next slide. I'm blanking here a bit. Ah, yes. So the solution is to stop existing. To, to blow it out. If you get off the crazy stuff, if you stop existing, you will no longer suffer. By the way, for Buddhists, there is no other way to eliminate suffering in your life than to completely cease to exist. Now, what's the technique? Here is the big aha, you know, one of the big ahas for the Buddhist, uh, for the Buddha, Siddhartha Gautama. He said, eliminate attachment. Don't care about anything. In fact, he named his son Obstacle. Which flows out of his religious idea, right? My son is an obstacle to my achieving uh, nirvana because he's a, an attachment danger. He makes me want to be attached to him, and I've got to eliminate that. So, um, in fact, original Buddhism is called Theravada Buddhism. And it is a monastic religion because in order to practice it, you must withdraw from life and go into yourself and detach yourself from everything, even yourself. So it's a monastic religion. 30% of the Buddhists in the world are Therav Theravada Buddhists, uh, this monastic religion. There is, however... Um, by the way, Buddhism, uh, Siddhartha Gautama lived about 500 years before Christ, but about 100 years after Christ, a new form of Buddhism uh, sprung up called Mahayana Buddhism, and it is 70% of the Buddhists in the world are Mahayana Buddhists. Go back one slide. And here is the difference. For the, um, for the Theravada Buddhists, you achieve enlightenment on your own. It's self-reliance. You must eliminate through your own uh, powers, uh, all attachments. And the way you do that is through the, actually, you've got to go back one more, through the Noble Eightfold Path. I'm not going to talk about it, but this is the strategy that Siddhartha Gautama put out for how to eliminate attachments. All right, next one. In 100 AD, there was a new idea, and it was this. And it was uh, the theory of the, of the Buddhnatsava. The Buddhnatsava those are humans who have achieved enlightenment, like the Buddha, who delay entrance into nirvana, nirvana. They remain in the pain in order to help the rest of us get to nirvana faster. And so um, 
The Dalai Lama is a Bodhisattva. He is the 14th reincarnation of the Bodhisattva of compassion. Uh, did you know that? He probably didn't even know that until somebody told him. But, <coughs> yeah, he keeps coming back. He could, he could cease to exist if he wanted to, but he remains on, on earth in order to help us. Now, these are not gods. They're kind of suprahumans, and they have magical powers, which is why people pray to the Dalai Lama and worship the Dalai Lama and, and hope you know, they revere the Dalai Lama because the Dalai Lama, like all Bhadnatsavas, have no karma, but they have this immense storehouse of merit. They're constantly building up merit, and merit, they can give you some of their merit, and it'll help offset the karma in your life. So at a minimum, if you, uh, if you pray to and, and worship and believe in a Bhadnatsava, at a minimum, they can help you achieve a better reincarnation and possibly even help you sail off into nothingness. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, most interesting thing I found discovering, uh, I discovered in my study, you'll never believe it, Steven Seagal is a Bhadnatsava. I kid you not. Steven Seagal is the ninth reincarnation of one of the Tibetan lamas. Fascinating. That's why we like his movies so much. I wasn't going to say that one. The, uh, the, the, mo the most popular form of Buddhism in the whole world is called Pure Land Buddhism. There was uh, one, a... a um, a guy, a monk, a Buddhist monk who said, when I achieve enlightenment, I, I will uh, use my massive merit to build a pure land in the West, and those who have faith in me, when they die, I will reincarnate them over here in my, uh, I will give them enough merit so that they reincarnate in my pure land, which is like paradise, and from the pure land, you will guaranteed to pretty quickly achieve uh, nirvana, cease to exist. But in the meantime, it's pretty awesome. And so all you have to do is chant the name Amitabha Buddha. It is even easy to say. Um, actually, I probably, Amitabha Buddha, I've been saying that. Not with any faith. Some, some Pure Land Buddhists say, you've got to repeat it all the time. And others just say, all it takes is one time of chanting Amitabha Buddha with sincere and complete and utter faith. And whoa, you're going to reincarnate in the pure land. All right. So really quickly, I've got this chart. Let's just compare Theravada versus Mahayana Buddhism. 30% are Theravadists and 70% uh, Mahayana. Liberation, according to the Theravadists, you achieve it alone. Mahayana, aided by divine power. It's not really divine. It's kind of superhuman power. View of God, Theravada Buddhists are completely atheistic. There is no God. They have no interest in God. Mahayana, they are pantheistic. They are Hindu-like in that sense. There is a God, but God is completely one with everything in the universe. Um, Theravada Buddhism is dominant in Thailand and Cambodia. Mahayana Buddhism, dominant in Vietnam, Korea, Japan. The virtue of Theravada Buddhism is wisdom. You've got to achieve this uh, understanding of the world on your own. With Mahayana Buddhism, the virtue is compassion. Why? Because that's what's exemplified by the Bodhisattvas. They remain in the pain for the sake of others. The model, uh, Theravada Buddhists, you have to be a monk. 
There are Theravada Buddhists who aren't monks, but all they do is help the monks and hope to achieve some merit by helping the monks. Mahayana Buddha, Buddhism, the model are the Bodhisattvas, the saviors. Theravada, the ritual is meditation and study. Mahayana, it's petition and prayer. By the way, uh, as you can probably see here, Mahayana Buddhism appeals to the lay person, the person who doesn't have the time to withdraw and go into the monastery, but the moms and dads and the, the, the people going to school. Because all you got to do is pray and you can st still live life. Theravada Buddhist, the profession is monk versus layperson. Focus, Theravada Buddhism, it's you go inward. Mahayana, you go outward and serve other people in compassion. Theravada Buddhism, Buddha is simply a saint. And what they mean by that is an exemplary human. But uh, Theravada Buddhists aren't, hoping, aren't relying on the Buddha to do anything for them. Whereas in Mahayana Buddhism, they do. They're saviors. Okay, that's all makes sense now, right? <laughs> Took me a long time to get my head around this stuff. Let's now engage with Buddhism from a Christian perspective. First off, Buddhism's uh, ethic of don't harm other people and do good deeds is admirable. And I, when you hear about the Bodhisattva, you cannot help but think about Jesus, right? Uh, we're told in Philippians that Jesus left heaven, came to earth to help us out. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to tightly, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I do find it interesting that Mahayana Buddhism, the concept of the Bodhisattva, did not arise until 100 years after Christ, shortly after uh, Christianity came to India by the Apostle Thomas. I can't help but think that the, concept, the idea of a Bodhisattva was sort of a Buddhist reaction to uh, the, the, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And, you know, if you're talking to a Hindu and they're really into a Bodhisattva, say, hey, what about actually the Son of God? He's not a bad one. He can, he can really help you out. <laughs> Secondly, uh, Theravada Buddhism's uh, encouragement to uh, kill all attachments. Basically, they say, you know, nothing is permanent, nothing stays the same, therefore you shouldn't care about anything. It shouldn't matter to you. That doesn't create a better world. The most popular image. What is the most popular image of the Buddha? He's, he's cross-legged, he's seated, he's meditating, he's, with, he's into him, you know, withdrawn into himself. That is the Buddha's response to the world's suffering. Withdraw into yourself. What's the most popular image of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? He's hanging on the cross. That's God's response to suffering. He sees our suffering. He leaves heaven. He comes to earth and he takes our suffering upon himself to redeem us. Which ethic do you want an animating your life in your society? In John chapter 15, verse 12, we read, This is my commandment, Jesus says that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life 
for his friends. We, don't, we do not unattach ourselves from other people. We recognize their supreme value because they're created in the image of God and they are eternal creatures and, and they're, they're worth laying our own lives down for. And then finally, you know, I want to say this to uh, Buddhists. There's hope. Buddhism is fundamentally a hopeless religion. Buddhists are correct to uh, interpret our world as being broken. It is broken. It's riddled by sin and the consequences of sin. But the conclusion they arrive at is, uh, there is no hope. The world is full of suffering, so you just, the, the best you can hope for is to cease to exist. There's no hope of changing the world, of it getting better. All you got to, you do, you got to make it your aim in life to somehow get off this, this, uh, this existence. Cease to exist. That's their, that's their only hope. That's their best goal, is to cease to exist. Wow. Christianity says, yeah, this world's broken, but the God who created this world is going to fix it. He's going to destroy this world and make it new. And those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ or who are in a relationship with him, they're going to get to live in that new heaven and that new earth where there is no more suffering forever because that's what our creator designed us for. Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. This is the apostle John. God gave him a vision of the future. What is to come? The sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. There's hope. The gospel is good news. It's good news. And so... To, your Buddhist, to our Buddhist friends, we want to say, you know what? You don't have to give up on life. You don't, you don't have to make it your highest aim in life to cease to exist. Make it your aim in life to be in a relationship with the God who created you because he promises that he's going to restore this world, take away the suffering, and we're going to get to live with him forever and ever and ever in paradise. I want to end with the story of Johann Trisanyaya. He lives in uh, Java. Grew up in a Buddhist family. When, uh, in fact, he was the president of the uh, Buddhist youth group in his town. But he had an opportunity to, uh, for free, attend a Christian school. And he thought, he, he, you know, okay, I'm going to be there three years. It's not going to change me. It's merely going to broaden me. I can handle this. He begins to attend this school, and pretty quickly he is, uh, it, it shakes him, begins to challenge his 
fundamental view of the world. And he doesn't like it, and he just, one day he up and he leaves the school. Doesn't tell him why, he just goes home. And he's at home for two weeks. And then he said, I, I heard a voice tell me, go back to school. And I obeyed. Eventually he becomes a Christian. And this is what Johann says. Listen, to, in light of what we said about Buddhism, listen to this. What I found liberating in Christianity is that Christ has defeated the power of death through his resurrection. So there are no more endless cycles of birth and death in reincarnation. And it's no longer the law of karma that has power over you, but the power of grace through Christ's victory over sin, death, and the devil. Which religion sounds more appealing to you? Let's pray. Jesus, while we were sinners, you died for us. You have made a way where there is, was no way. By your stripes, we are healed. God, we, we acknowledge with, uh, with our Buddhist friends that this world is broken. But we celebrate the fact that you left heaven and you entered into our brokenness so that it can all be restored, can all be changed. And so our goal in life is not to seek, cease to exist. Our goal in life is to live together with you and with each other in heaven where there is no more tears, there is no more suffering for life everlasting. In your name we pray, amen.